Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Good morning, everyone. Amen. Great to see everyone. We've made available, if you've missed what I think was the final school, the 30th school, 30 represents maturity, I think one of the most profound schools in its history of the schools. And it came forth with a lot of powerful, faithful statements, a lot of encouragement that usually fueled my faith. I'm so confident about where we are going to in the future. God's going to do some great things, miraculous things. But it demands cooperation with the demand of God in the Spirit. Amen? What, what I'm picking up is passivity. Passivity is the most dangerous of spiritual dispositions. Uh, it's like God can be doing a profound thing, but you can stand back and have, have a spirit of passivity in your spirit. Or another term is indifference. While you say, okay, well, I will just cruise. I will not have the intensity that the season demands. It's vital that we all be on the same page, all on the same level spiritually in terms of what the Lord has, has downloaded. I feel so enthused, so invigorated, so encouraged, and dignified, ennobled. I can't explain the sense of nobility and ennoblement that has come to my spirit. The, the sense of royalty and kingly rule that has gripped me this week. I'm telling you, brethren, sense of what God is going to do is just overwhelming. And I shared with you, how many of you watched those clips of Dr. Segi's prophecy? I sent it via the church WhatsApp group, and I sent you the YouTube link. And if you heard that, got that into your spirit, Dr. Segi said that his sessions focused on, on, on the church, the, the, the city church, on oneness in the church, which is a representation of the Zion principle, the fortress of God, the church in the last days. And at one point, um, he, he focused on the movement of the ark away from the Philistines when David got the, the ark back from them. And he sought it to bring it back to Jerusalem. But remember, Uzzah touched the ark and he was struck dead. David didn't know what to do. He, he realized he violated protocol. He neglected to read in the Old Testament that the ark mustn't be drawn on a cart, but on, on the poles of dedicated or consecrated priests. So God struck the, the, the Uzzah dead. David, out of fear, put the ark. He asked Obed-Edom, a Gittite, if you can keep the ark while we work out a strategy for bringing it back safely into Jerusalem. The ark was left there for three months. Everyone say three months. Three months. And in that time, the Bible says that God blessed Obed-Edom, blessed his house, and thirdly, all that pertains to him. Come on, say, blessed him. Say, blessed his house and all that pertains to him. With a threefold blessing. Amen. I declare to you that you will be blessed, your house will be blessed, and everything that pertains to you in this season, if you can perceive it, will be blessed. And he said, he delivered this word on the 15th, was it? The 15th of the 9th, 2017, the day he was preaching. And he's not one for prophetic declarations in the manner in which he gave, but I respect Dr. Segi usually as a credible servant of the Lord. And he said, 15 is three times, five, nine is three times three. Three represents in Scripture anything that is real, solid, and substantial. Right? And he said, he feels to say to the ASIM, the delegates there and those watching by television, which is you, live streaming, that... In three months, there's going to be unprecedented financial blessing coming to you. And he said this, there's a statement that not many people caught when he said this. And he said this, if you are willing to receive it, it will happen. Who said that? Jesus said that to the, to the Israelites concerning John the Baptist. Jesus said to them, this John the Baptist is Elijah, which was to come if you will receive it. He's saying, you can see the technology of 
John the ba- of Elijah in John the Baptist, but only if you will receive it. Repeat after me, only if you will receive it. So I marked the dates. So the 15th of September to the 15th of December is three months. Why I'm excited is because God told us at the first of the first this year that this is a season and a year of the favor of the Lord for the time. The set time has come to favor us, to favor Zion. I'm also excited because God has prepared us with economic teachings. It's like every possible structure, every possible thing, God has taken the time to prepare the house for a propulsion into financial blessing like we've never known before. I declare to you, church, if you will receive it in three months, before the 15th of December, you will know unprecedented financial blessing. If you will receive it. Now, talk to me. Do you receive it? Come on, do you receive it? You know, some of us, with the dwang that we are in financially, it will take years and years to resolve, even if our salary doubles right now. Right? It's going to need supernatural intervention of God. And I declare to you, you Obedidims, this doesn't come to anybody. It comes to those who receive the ark. The ark is a representation of Jesus Christ. He's the embodiment of all the ark represents. But also, just quickly, the ark is a representation of the fullness of the glory of God. There were three things in the ark. What were they? I did this teaching years ago. The golden pot of manna. Aaron's rod that budded. And a copy of the Ten Commandments. The tablets of the law. The law, the copy of the law... Um, the Ten Commandments bring rectitude and regulation to the life of the Son of God. They are principles by which all sons of God should live, no matter in what dispensation of the covenants that you are in. The law still applies. It can be lived not by the requirements of law, as in the Old Covenant, but by the grace of God, you are able to fulfill the requirements through the, through faith in Jesus Christ, that power. So I cannot not commit it. I will not commit adultery. The law said, thou shalt not. Now I'm saved, and by the power of grace, I can uphold that standard. I will not be covetous. I will not steal. I will respect father and mother. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. I will not use the name of the Lord and take it and use it in vain. I can uphold all of those things now. Hallelujah. Everyone say regulation. Say rectitude, right? So we can live principled lives. And what I'm picking up in my spirit, that people are, are, are flouting principles. You known principles, you know to be true, but because you're not taking your cue from the law, from, from and you know the law when David said in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation. He said, all of the day, he was not just referencing the Ten Commandments when he used the phrase law. He was referencing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Because in his day, that's all the Bible that he had access to. At least we have the full 66 books. When David said words like, uh, how shall a young man cleanse his way? But by giving heed unto your word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not. What word was he talking about? He only had access to the first five books. And he said, if that's all I have, I will install it. It's going to make me live right. Everyone say live right. Pastor Thamo referenced righteousness a lot. Okay. And the Melchizedek order, Melchizedek, Melchi is king. Zedek means righteousness. So Melchizedek is king of righteousness. He's, he's, he's the leader of Jerusalem or Salem, which is peace. So he's also king of, of peace. Two things you must watch in the season. Your righteousness and your, and your peace. And righteousness, Pastor Thomas explained, is not simply holy living. It's not simply being moral and upright. It includes that, but it's far more than that. And he explained, I love the way he uses his hands, he says, righteousness, he puts his two hands together, is compliance to a divine heavenly order. Right? Abraham believed God, the scripture says, and it was counted to him for, for righteousness. 
Everyone say divine compliance. Come and say it again. Divine compliance to a heavenly standard. Say divine compliance to heavenly principles. If you can comply and adjust your life to be in sync with God's expectation for you in every department of your life and do that consistently, you are righteous. And John says, he who is righteous, John says, but he who practices righteousness. So the attained righteousness must be expressed. And so, you know, for example, Pastor Thalma mentioned a scripture which says that God is righteous in all his ways. Yeah? He's righteous in all his ways. We worship him. You are righteous in all your ways. You're not just righteous. You are righteous in every department. Everyone say all your ways. So you are righteous in, in every respect, in everything you do. There's a sense of rightness, rectitude, honorability. And I appeal to the church. Please listen to me, church. This is very prophetic. I appeal to you. Be righteous in everything you do. When, when no one's looking and you're in the dark and you're alone, do the right thing. That's integrity. Whatever you do, say, God, is my life lining up? If you look from the heavens at my activity or my thoughts, now in this area, uh, think of my hands. Is there this? Does heaven line up with my present disposition? Will heaven smile on it? And will heaven bless it? So everyone say righteousness. Say righteous in all your ways. Right? So the Ten Commandments, the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant, teach us rectitude, compliance, principle, and just living. Never before have I been more serious to please God in the secret areas of my life. Where no one can see, I must be compliant. You see, you can be excited about this three months prophecy. It's going to happen, by the way. If you will receive it. But it's not just if you will receive it. If you will also comply to the standards that make the prophecy come to pass. Yeah. It's not just going to happen. All prophecies are conditional upon accurate behavior that activate the prophecy into fulfillment. Amen. Come on, church. I beg you. I beg you. Be righteous in all your ways. I beg you, do the right thing. Don't be a man pleaser. If the Bible forbids it, don't do it. Don't just do it because other people are doing it and you're getting your cue from the wrong standards. If the Bible forbids it, then I, I must line up. Tell your neighbor, line up. I can't get this line up. Right? Other people might be doing their thing, but what is good for others might not be fitting for you, depending on where God is taking us. Now more than ever before, Righteousness, holiness, living by the law of God, by the power of the grace of God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can fulfill the law in Him who has fulfilled the law. And Him through us, we're able to live the commandments. Come on, tell someone you are able to live rightly. I want right living in the house. I don't want no, no compromise, no duplicity, no no parading one thing but you're doing another thing behind the scenes may the lord judge you if you are you hear this word and you still do that i am dead serious guys i don't want blood on my hands saying god randolph you led these people but you overlook certain things i'm i'm sounding a warning out to the church if you're doing a wrong thing and you know it to be wrong stop it in the name of the lord jesus christ and get your life right again Start to live rightly before the Lord. Because we get excited about these prophecies, and yet we don't line up. And then the 15th of December comes, and we're thinking, oh, it's not a word from God. No, it's a word from God. But you have failed to comply with divine standards. I am saying to all of us, if we receive this word today, if you are willing to accept it, I say to you, the blessing that came upon old bed Edom, will come upon you. It's going to happen. Tell someone it's going to happen. You know, Dr. Sege said, Isaiah 45, 11. Just check it out, Luke. Uh, concerning the work of my hands, he command me. Concerning my sons. Yeah. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, ask me about things too. 
come, go to the NIV, not NIV, the New King James. Says it better. Same, same, same concept, but it's like the way in the New King James or the King James. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, ask me of things, ask me of things to come concerning who? Concerning my sons and concerning the, what? The work of my hands, you, God says to you, command me. Right? But your command of God, you cannot force God to do something he does not intend to do. Not so? So this is in context because all prayer is born out of a revelation of the will of God. Your prayer does not determine the will of God. Your prayer simply facilitates the will of God to be done. Yeah? And so, he's, yeah, God issues a powerful, powerful commandment, a powerful verse of Scripture. I know there's a great, great level of commentary and controversy also over this verse. I've studied this years ago in, in, from many theologians' perspective. But if you take it at face value, he's saying, ask me. Everyone repeat after me, ask me. I'm, I, my prayer in the next three months is going to be very intensive. I am going to give him no rest. Psalm 62, Isaiah 62 says, give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Not so. Did God say to Elisha, hey, uh, I'm about to break the famine and send rain after the three and a half year drought. Did not God say that to him? But what did the man do? After hearing that intention of God, what did he do? Did he say, well, let me just have some cake and tea sit on my bench and look at the sky and wait for the rain to come. Did he say that? What did he do? He went to a top of a mountain. The Bible says, put his head between his knees, adopting the posture of Hebrew women that are about to give birth to a baby. And the Bible says, and he prayed for the Lord to send rain. Why pray when God just told you, I'm going to do a thing? You go and you position yourself in prayer. Prayer is partnering with God to see done what he has already declared to do. It's not about convincing God. It's not about begging God. This is not pleading. Prayer is not trying to overcome God's reluctance to do a thing. You know it's his will. All you do is, you know the principle, unless, that's why Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven. What? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your Will, why did he teach us in the Lord's Prayer? When you pray, pray the will. Tell someone, pray the will. He says, pray the will be done. God says, I have a will that is to be done, but I need you to pray it. Pray partners with God to see the thing that he already intended to do to come to pass. Yeah? How many of us are going to pray intensely the next three months? Come on. I need intense prayer. Come on. Come on, church, are you going to do this? Are you going to pray the next three months? Are you going to not give him rest? Yeah? Are you going to command him concerning the work of his hands? He got works to do, just put that verse up, concerning his sons. This is concerning your destiny. It's concerning my sons. He said, you commit to me the work of my hands. Or as the NIV King James says, you command me or commit to me the work concerning my hands. Quickly, Isaiah 62, quickly. Verse 1. I may not even get to where I'm going here, so just, just listen carefully. I, I'm so excited. For Zion's sake, Zion was prosecuted so thoroughly at the school. I want to go into all of that now. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Yeah? Come on, say, I will not keep silent. What is he praying for? He heard a prophecy. That three months of blessing, he's not relaxed, he's not passive about it. He's pursuing the work of my hands. What I promise, he's passionate to see done. Hallelujah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. Until what? Until a righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. So, this is God speaking. God saying, I, God is saying, I, God, I, God, will not keep silent. 
until the rectitude, the, what is righteousness? Everyone say compliance to a divine standard. Right living, a compliance to this. God is saying, I will not keep silent and for Jerusalem's sake, and we know that Jerusalem is a reference to the church. The new Jerusalem, according to Revelation 21, descends as a bride from out of, of heaven. Until a righteousness goes before like brightness and a salvation, like a torch that is, that is burning. Quickly, just run down verse 2. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. This is, royal diadem is power to rule, authority to execute judgment. It will no longer be said of you or to you, you are forsaken. Your forsaken days are over, I declare to you in Jesus' name. Desolation, dry, arid, the famineness of your life is over. The aridness of your life is over. No longer will it be said of you, you are desolate. But you will be called what? But you will be called, my delight is in her and your land married, betrothed, covenant. It was a covenanted. For the Lord delights in you and in him your land will be married. Verse 5. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. This is about covenantal relationships within the house of God between fathers and sons. Amen. We must walk more tightly and covenantly together. I appeal to all the sons in this house. We must walk more covenantly and more tightly together. Hallelujah. We are married. We dwell together. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to, to dwell together. The word dwell there literally means to be covenantally joined in marriage. Right? We're tight. So your God will rejoice over you. Verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed... Watchmen, all day and night, they will never keep silence. Who remind the Lord? Take no rest for yourself. Look at verse 6. Go back to verse 1. What does verse 1 say about God? About God, this is God talking about himself. He's saying, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and salvation, like a torch that is burning. Everyone say, I will not keep silent. Say, I will not keep quiet. Who's talking? Come on, talk to me. Who's talking? God is saying, I will not keep silent. I will not rest. Look at verse 6. What does God say? His intent is for Jerusalem, all these wonderful things. And he says to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen, prayer warriors, those who are vigilant in the spirit. Jesus said, watch and pray. The watchman position here is a prayerful position on the walls of Jerusalem. And watch, God says, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. When last have you waited when last have you took the time to really dedicate two hours simply to the Lord? It's easy to dedicate three hours to a movie. Some of us can't pray for five minutes. And yet the temperature of our spirits, when we come into corporate gatherings, sometimes we feel, oh, the levels are low. Because we've given our lives to so many worldly indulgences. And when it comes to things of the spirit, we lack spiritual stamina. Come on, tell your neighbor, pray more. Come on, pray more. I can't be effective in the world, even in ministry, unless I spend time with the Lord. I don't want to just teach. I'm going to challenge you. Are you going to practice? Are you going to spend time with the Lord? Yeah. And you know what? The actions of the watchman exactly mirror the actions of God. What they adopt is like, a, it's like mirroring. It's imaging. It's a mirror copy of the disposition of God in the heavens. These guys, he is not keeping silent. He is not keeping quiet. God is giving himself no rest. And he says, now watchman on the wall. Copy my disposition. I've appointed watchman all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the... Come on, tell someone, remind the Lord. It's like Elijah, Elijah on the mount. Must be thinking, God, you just said it. 
Now I put my head between my knees, physically adopting the posture of a Hebrew woman about to give birth to a baby. My prayer is about to give birth to your purpose. I copy your position on the earth. I mirror it as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. Everyone say, as in heaven, so on the earth. As in heaven, so on the earth. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You remind the Lord, take no rest for yourself. And some people might argue, this is unbelief. No, it's not. There's a difference between vain babbling. Jesus said to the Pharisees, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their much speaking. That's a different economy of using lengthy prayer times with repetitive verbiage to try and impress God. It was said in context to Pharisees that, that, that did not live the word, had no living life of God's word flowing in them, and they did everything simply as a posture or a parade of spirituality. Jesus said to those guys, no vain repetitions, right? But remember the parable of the importunate widow? Come on, remember the parable? Luke 18, 18 verse 1. He was telling them a certain parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. People are losing heart too much. King James says men ought always to pray and never faint. It's too much fainting. Prayer will stop. Prayer will is, the, is the, 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 the antidote for fainting. Prayer is the antidote for losing hearts. Some of you have lost heart in your prophecies coming to pass. I'm just here this morning to encourage you. We sang the, the songs today. What God said is able to do. Amen. We're going to see the promises. Hallelujah. I believe that with all of my heart. It will surely come to pass. But it requires posture. It requires disposition. You can't just listen to a prophecy like that and say, well, I will rest on my laurels. Let it be. I will see it when it happens. No. You're going to say now, Lord, like a watchman over the wall, I'm going to mirror your position in the earth. I'm going to give you no rest. I will remind you concerning the work of your hands, concerning your sons, I will command you, in a, not in an a, a irreverent fashion, it's a reminder, God, you said it, now you, now you do it. You said it, now you do it. He was telling them a certain parable to show them they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is the intention of the parable. Parables or stories have spiritual objectives, not so? So before he tells the story, he gives the objective of the lesson. I'm going to tell you a story, guys, with this lesson. Pray always and don't give up. Pray always and don't lose heart. Pray always and don't faint. So what's the story? Let's look at it quickly. Verse 2. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect men. Now, there are many like them in South Africa today. <laughs> People in high positions, no fear of God, no regard for men. But you've got all of this power. That's a dangerous combination. When a person that's a judge does not fear God and has no regard for the, the welfare of men. So think about the caliber of the person that Jesus is referencing here. Verse 3. There was a widow in that city. A widow means she's compromised. She's husbandless. In Hebrew culture, this was a serious thing. Uncovered, right? No provision. Totally vulnerable. She can be taken advantage by so many. Okay? inability to bear seed and to produce kids. She's a widow in that city, and she, I like this, everyone say, kept coming. Tell your neighbor, keep on coming. <laughs> Come on, tell someone, keep on coming. She kept coming. She kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my adversary or from my opponent. She wants justice. She was being uh, badgered by adversaries after her husband's death she was totally vulnerable at the onslaughts she was victimized taking advantage of and she appeals to a higher authority only problem is this guy has got no passion for the welfare of people and he doesn't even fear god is this a bad case huh? bad bad scenario being played out here but tell you never keep coming come on tell someone keep coming she kept coming and verse 4, 
for a while he was unwilling. For a while. We don't know how long this while. Maybe hers was also three months. She came one day, knock, knock, knock the court doors, came to the secretary of the guy. Secretary says, he's not seeing you today or tomorrow. No problem. Bye-bye. Next day, she's the first one in the office. Knock, 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 knock. Avenge me mine adversaries. Secretary says, not seeing you today. Sorry. He said, he said, no problem. I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Tell you about keep coming. Okay? Let's keep coming. Right? Keep coming. For a while, he was unwilling. But afterwards, he said to himself, he said to himself, watch. Even though I do not fear God, nor do I respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, the King James says, she wearies me. It's like eroding me. She bothers me. I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, watch, by her continually coming, she will wear me out. Tell your neighbor, wear God out. By your continual coming. Theologians call this, most of your Bibles, the heading in Luke 18 would be the importunate widow. Importunity means never to give up. Men, what's the intention of the parable? Men ought always to pray and never lose heart. The thing you are praying for is not visible, but you don't lose heart. You convince this is what I'm seeing is opposite to God's will. So God, I, I hold on to your word if it's the only thing I have in prayer, and I'm going to pray through. I will give you no rest. I'll put you in remembrance that you do what you intended to do for my wife, for my spouse, for my kids, for my family, for my church, for my father in the Lord, for others. Do not lose heart. Losing heart is hopelessness. And the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yeah? There abides faith, hope and faith is perception about the future. Now faith is a substance of, of, of substance hope for the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is. Faith is rooted in the now. It's an internal conviction that you possess in spite of contrary evidence concerning the truth and certainty that God's will will come to pass. Hope, however, is a mental attitude of expectancy concerning the future. Now faith is, faith is present. Hope is always futuristic. It's a positive mental disposition within the man that, that looks forward with glee and excitement and anticipation to see what God's going to do. Tell you about hope. What it says about Abraham. It says, against hope, he believed in hope that he might become a father of many nations. Evidence was contrary, but this brew looked to the future with great expectation. I'm going to say to you, your future is bright. I don't mean that as a phrase that most motivational speakers use. Put your shades on, the future is too bright. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking about it. I really mean it, the future is bright. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plan to give you a hope and a future. Hope is always anchored in my future is going to be good. The next two years, the next three years, the next five years, the next ten years is going to be good for you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm picking up pessimism. Pessimism is anti-hope. Pessimism is anti-faith. I've got to be around to be a blessing to the next generation and I'm trusting for the fourth generation. I will be around to see them and see how they're blessed in the earth. Come on. Job saw four generations. Job saw four generations. And the Bible says he came to the grave in full vigor. If you are willing to accept it, it will happen to you. Hallelujah. It will happen to you. So she comes and he says, I better sort her out because she's going to wear me down by a continual coming. Right? This lady did not give up. Did not give up. Verse 6. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Notice how Jesus classifies the judge. He is unrighteous. No compliance to divine standards. But you see, he's not responding to a request. 
because he loves people. He's not even responding to a request because he loves equity, justice, which he should because he's a judge. He's not even functioning by what would be true of normal, typical judges. And Jesus calls him unrighteous. He has a man, no intent of complying to heavenly standards. Right? Verse 6. Now will not God, do you hear what this unrighteous judge says? And Jesus draws a comparison between the unrighteous judge and God the heavenly father. He says, now let's draw a comparison. Will not God bring what? Justice for his elect would do what? Who cry unto him day and night. And he will delay long over them. Will the question, will he delay long over them? Next verse. I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. Tell someone quickly. You know, you're quickly. You can define quickly how you want to define quickly. I'm looking at my own definition of quickly. I'm not even waiting. I'm not even waiting for the 15th of December. I say, God, my spirit is so intense, so wired. I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, watch. The however is, but, there's a rider here. Something you want to see. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find what on the earth? Will he find faith? Remember, I, I was supposed to finish the part two of trust today. I told you in both Greek and Hebrew, the word trust simply means believe. Remember? And did not that come through strongly at Asim? Pastor Thamo really encouraged us. He said, simply believe. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for, for righteousness. No, no great big issues about Abraham. He just had a promise. And his disposition is, I believe. Lord, I believe. And the Bible says God reckoned him as righteous. God EFT'd into his account righteousness. There was a transaction that took place simply because of the internal posture of Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of, of many nations. He simply believed. And sometimes we complicate things too much. I want to encourage you this morning, simply believe. Come on, say it, believe. Do you believe that in the next three months this prophecy can come to pass? Yeah? Obedida means servant of servants. Or, or the best servant or something to that effect. Okay? I want to encourage you, be a servant of servants. Be the best servant you can be. And so, will you find faith on the earth? The unjust judge doesn't regard men, no, 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 no God. By comparison... Jesus said this, shall not God avenge his? Go back to that verse quickly. You've got to see this. Verse 7. I like this. His what? You are the elect of God. You see, when this woman came to the judge, there was no intimacy between them. There was no even relationship. He didn't know her. She did not know him. So when Jesus is painting the story between them, and he's drawing this comparison. The one thing he says, where this woman was disadvantaged, where you, the Son of God, is not compromised, he says, you are, you are coming to him. You are his only elect. You are his son. And because of the relationship, where she took long, God the Father will do it quickly. Where the judge took long, God the Father will do it quickly. But the, the principle of the parable is, Men, what's the objective? He said in verse 1, he told them a parable to teach them that men ought always to pray and never give up and never lose heart. I want to encourage you, the best thing you can do when prayer is the furthest thing from your, in your mind is to pray. The best thing you can do in your most discouraged moments when you can't even utter a word to him, that is the time you should pray. Because prayer is, it guards your heart from losing heart. It protects your heart from fainting, from, from giving up. Hallelujah. And so I'm not going to give him rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. What's that other text? I think it's Ezekiel 36, 37. Go back to verse 36. It's amazing how God's activating my memory today. Listen carefully. Then the nations that are around left about you, 
will know that I, the Lord, I have rebuilt the ruined places. I have planted that which was desolate. And I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Repeat after me. I have spoken it. I, have, I will do it. That's the sovereignty of God. He does what he wants to. And before he does it, what does he do? He speaks it before he does it. Watch. I have spoken it and I will do it. Repeat after me. God has spoken it. God's going to do it. Repeat after me. God said three months. Say God's going to do it. But what's the proviso? What's the requirement in the next verse? Watch. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do it for them. I will increase them like their men like a flock. He is saying, watch, I have spoken it. I will do it. He says, please press the pause button. I am simply waiting for the house of Israel to ask me to do it for them. Yeah? Although God has intended a thing to be, He waits for prayer to activate its doing. That's why James says, you have not because you ask not. And then he says, and you you ask and you do not have because you ask a a miss that you might consume it upon your own lust. So prayer is a non-negotiable thing. Now in the Ark of the Covenant, just quickly let me wrap this up. In the Ark of the Covenant, there was the tablets of the Lord. Not so we said that. The Ten Commandments, righteous, living, compliance to a heavenly standard. There was also the golden potter, manna. And throughout my grace teachings, I demonstrated to you what does manna represent. Grace. What is it, they said in the wilderness, this manna? Grace, and I think we've done sufficient teachings of how you can access greater grace. I don't think I know, I don't need to go through all of that. It's too long, actually. There's about 30 somewhat sessions just on the grace of God. And I've taught you how to access grace. All you need to do is simply live by those principles to let your mana increase. The third item in the Ark of the Covenant was the Aaron's rod that budded. The background to this is that Israel challenged, well, Israel challenged the right of Aaron to be the priestly leader of the congregation. This angered Moses. God told Moses to do the following. Okay, let's resolve this once and for all. Get all the 12 leaders from each of the tribes. Let each man bring his stick. The stick was his staff or his symbol of leadership. A staff was a symbol or a representation of leadership. And they, they, they put it in the ark overnight. Remember? And God said, the rod that buds, blooms, and blossoms. I can't remember the order. It buds, blooms, blossoms. That is my chosen leader. God said, I'll sort this matter out. Don't worry. Don't worry. Because Moses was angry with the people. So don't worry. Let me, let me, let me prove who's my leader. They woke up in the morning and Aaron's rod from the tribe of Levi, the stick of Levi, was the only stick amongst the twelve that bloomed, budded, bloomed, and blossomed in an overnight period. Everyone say quickly. Now, that doesn't happen to a dry stick. That a tree, a plant must be in the, in the ground with roots being planted for that process. And that process takes a few months or weeks to happen. God compressed time in a less than 24-hour overnight period, and he made a dry stick bloom, a bud and blossom. And everybody knew then, well, Aaron's the legitimate leader. So the blossoming of Aaron's rod refers to authenticated patriarchal or fatherly leadership. Listen carefully. Everyone say authenticated. It's, it's got heaven's approval on it. It's the leader that God has chosen. And you know what? One thing in this season that can really challenge or inhibit your entrance into this prophecy is when you challenge authenticated leadership. It's when you question the right to lead, for example, of your spiritual father in certain matters. Never do that. Do you know in the lad principle, I didn't get to teach that last section of the lad principle. 
I was going to focus there on the Shunammite woman. Remember the story of the Shunammite? Remember she was barren, but she built a loft for Elisha whenever he came into the city. What did she put up there? She put a bed, she put a table, and she put a, a lamp. So every time Elisha came into the city, he had a place to stay. There he could rest. He had a lamp to prepare or do his work, etc. And that happened every time she came, he came into the city. She built him an upper room, or not a basement. She put the man of God where? On top of her in a house, not below her. That is symbolic of the degree of honor and respect she had for Elisha. Right? Because grace has a gravitational downward flow. You're going to put the man of God, your father, or other apostles, or men of God generally, in high esteem in your mind. She built a physical loft. You build a mentality in your mind. Put the man of God above you. Never speak an evil word against him. Or even think it. The apostle Thomas said to us years ago, if you entertain that, you can forego huge downloads of grace. I don't factor it into my mind in reference to my leaders. I've trained my mind. I tell my mind, you don't go there. I tell myself, you don't do that. You mind, you don't do that. You're crossing a boundary of disesteem. And when you do that, grace won't flow. You don't do that. You don't say that. You don't think that about your leaders. Simple, right? So, remember, Elisha sent the servant to her. That was so good to me. Ask her, what does she want? She said nothing. Remember? I don't need nothing. He said, this time next year, you will have a son. She perceived. You know, a lot of people give in anticipation of what they're going to get. You know, sow your car to reap a car, you know. She said, no, I give period. My giving is simply honor. And she allowed the man, well, she allowed God in the man of God to determine what need of hers to fill. Right? I always say, just give obediently. Allow God to scan your life and let him fill whatever vacuum he feels to fill at that point in time. God knew, this time, lady, you need a baby. This year, next time, you'll have a son. Boy grows up, right? He's now a young man. And we know very little of him. We only, the Bible calls him a lad. Everyone say lad. He grows up, and the only time we read it says, and the lad was in the field with his father, and he had a headache. And he said, my head, my head. Read it. Second Kings 4. He says, my head, my head. And, he, he, and then the father says, take him to the mother. That, that father's a problem to me, that guy. You know what? When I read the narrative, I only read of the wife honoring the man of God, and I never ever read of the husband honoring the man of God. I want to speak to couples. It's important for both of you to be on the same page in your honor in reference to leadership. Otherwise, you can be compromised within your house if just one of you is doing it and the other not. So even this gift of a son, this husband was powerless to administrate its, res its resolution, right? By the time they bring the boy back, the Bible says she puts him on a lap and he dies. And she's weeping on a porch, on a veranda, and the child, the lad is dead. And she, the Bible says she calls for the Elisha, the man of God. And she goes to, she runs to meet him, Remember? And he saw her coming from a distance. He sent his servant, asked the lady, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the son? And what did she say? It is well. There's a dead boy in my, in my home. But her, her, her words were, it is well. A faithful position. Not willing to let domestic circumstances, however contrary they are to the will of God, impact her hope and her faith. Tell someone, it is well. Come on, say it with me, it is well. It is well. Now, despite your financial issues, say with me, it is well. Come on, prophesy, say, it is well. Yeah, it is well. You see, this lady, I believe, had a certain grace disposition within her because of the degree of, to which she honored Elisha. People tell me, Randolph, how come you, you, doors are opening for you? How come you speak like you do? One person asked me recently, which Bible school did you go to? How did you know the thing that you do? My, my classic response to them, I haven't been to a Bible school, but I have a father. The 
Paul Timothy model. Paul said to son Timothy, all the things you learned from me, it's personal. It's not institutional. It's personal. The same you commit to faithful men that are able to teach others also. I can only put it down to the lengths and the degree of my honor for Pastor Thamo and Marola Naidu, both of us. The way we honor, the respect, the washing of his hands, the service, we are now recipients of grace because we put the servant of the Lord above us in our minds. I'm telling you, there are no, there are no tricks to grace. One of the keys of grace is simply honor. And your thing flows to you. And you find yourself operating on different levels. Your grace. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always, in all things, you will abound in every good work. That prophecy, that promise is given to people who sow financially. Elisha sends the servant ahead of him as he goes to the house where the dead boy is. And he says to him, take the boy up to the room they prepared for me. Everyone say the room. You see, your miracle will happen in the space of your honor. That room represents the space of our honor. That miracle, you will eventually come alive again. It happened in the ambit with the environment of the degree of honor that the parent, at least the wife, created for. Lame on my bed. The bed represents covenant. The bed represents rest. That place of rest and covenant that this woman created in a mind for me deadness of this boy there put him down take my stick with you he sent the servant guy servant's racing ahead with this instruction elijah's taking his time walking to the house this picture of the seed someone is speeding ahead with the stick what does the stick represent come on talk to me stick represents leadership take my staff and stick with you and when you get to the boy put him down and lay your stick on his head on his on his body the bible says he did that and nothing happened. You know what? That, that, that's a sad thing. It means the boy was, e, was unresponsive to leadership. I want to say to all the young people and parents, it's important for parents to teach children to respond to godly leadership. It's very important. That the boy, you see the deadness in your child, the deadness spiritually in your child, will only respond to leadership that you have taught them to honor in your world. If you respond to the stick, every dead thing and you will live again. Hallelujah. Right? I want to encourage you. You see, the lad principle that gives must be, must be taught to give by parents that honor. So, I mean, Elijah comes there. He chases everybody else out. He says, well, the stick's not working. I have to do this personally. He goes into the room and the Bible says, and he laid on the boy, watch, eye to eye, mouth to mouth, and hand to hand. Everyone say eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. So it's same, same sight, same, see as I see. Let your, let your mouth touch mine, receive the word of the Lord, and hand speak of purpose. Let your purposes now start to be aligned to mine. Everyone say same perception, same doctrine, same word. Same purpose. And I'm calling many of you here. God is speaking to many in this house. You're not seeing as I see. Because you're not getting the word. You're not following the word enough that we release. And hence you can't support purpose. You can't even see purpose globally that we emphasize. It's not your priority. And I'm calling for a face-to-face -face levels of impartation. So nothing happened. Elijah and the boy, nothing happened. Then he says, the Bible says, and Elisha paced up and down in the room. Picture the scene, right? And Elisha paced up and down in the room and he went again and he laid on the boy. Nothing happened. And Elisha paced, ah, okay, I'm dramatized, I'm not smart like it. And he paced up and down in the room and the Bible says third time, he laid on the boy and the boy sneezed seven times. Seven times sneezed. A perfect sneeze. Hey? They say sneezing is an involuntary action, not so? And medically, it's, there are many reasons, they say, but it's caused in part by irritants within the nasal passage, I think. 
it irritates the system, and the system has to expel a gush of air at great speed. I'm telling you, whatever irritants are irritating you can be expelled. <laughs> whatever, whatever contaminants, viruses in your system can be expelled by a mouth-to-mouth, face-to-face, hand-to-hand encounter with the man of God in your life. Right? Tell you they sneeze perfectly. And you know what? Elisha comes down and he says to the, to, to, to the woman, your son lives. The Look to careful. It says the child died, but the son lives. For unto us a child is born, but a son is given. That the, 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 the movement from child to son, you see, in the child is the son, but there's a son in every child that needs to be brought forth. Amen. The lad, he says, the lad died, but the son, the son has lived. The son has lived. And I want to encourage every single one of us. We get into that place now where maturity is going to become non-negotiable. All the childish tendencies in you must go. Sneeze and sneeze out all of those contaminants, irritants in your system. Right? What persisted as fine for you in a previous dispensation is no longer fine. I'm saying from my own life, grand of greater compliance, greater seriousness. But everyone say leadership. What did Obed-Edom have in the ark? When it says the ark was in Obed-Edom's house, it means in that ark was the law, the tablets. In that ark was the manna, the grace, the golden pot. In that ark was Aaron's rod that budded. Obed-Edom had all these principles in his house. Everything I've told you now. He has them in the house. And what happens? And he prospered. And his house prospered. And all that pertained to him prospered. This is someone and everything he does prospers. Come on, everything. I really want to encourage your faith. If you're thinking of embarking upon a project, thus says the Lord to you, do it. Go for it. Observing these principles, I tell you the Lord says to you, because it will be prosperous in your hands. It's going to work. It's not ifs, maybes, maybe I'm shooting in the dark here. The Lord says, it's going to work. Nathan said to David, whatever is in your heart to do, do it. Because God is with you. God is with you. Hallelujah. Come on, do you receive this word? Will you be praying every day? Come on. Will you be living by the righteous standards of the Lord through Jesus? Yes. Hallelujah. Will you be increasing in grace, the manna? Will you have respect and honor for patriarchal leadership, fatherly leadership? Yeah? If that arc, if that, that concepts, concepts, those principles are unaltering, consistent within your life, I declare to you. Three months. Hallelujah. Everyone say three months. Come on, say it louder. Three months. If ever, you know, I'm, I don't generally get so excited about prophecies, but I'm so excited about this one. I've never been, the Bible says to not despise prophecies. You can despise the prophecy, it won't work for you. Don't despise it. Amen. Let's pray together. Stand with me. Come quickly. Father, come and lift your hands. Father, I thank you for this word. We are so excited, Father. Our faith is built up, God. Uh, We've read your word from so many vantage points this morning. And we will give you no rest. We will always remind you. We will pray and not lose heart. Concerning the things that we have heard. We lift up our hands to agree to your word. Let thy will be done on earth as it is done in the heavens, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, Father, I ask that this word will surely come to pass. Your word is true from beginning to end. There had not one word from your law failed yet. Hath you not said it and will you not make it good? We stand on your promises. We will see the impossible. We will see the supernatural, not dependent upon our capacity to provide, but God, based upon your faithfulness, the integrity of your word, the surety of your word, the infallibility of your word. Your word cannot lie. Your word is true from beginning to end. So today we remind you of your promise to us. We ask, do it in the next three months. 
I pray there will be great miracles financially, unprecedented miracles of breakthroughs, of openings, of open doors, of debt cancellations, of purchasing of houses, that those who desire it, of promotions in the workplace, of deliverance from captivity, deliverance from debt and any impasse, cul-de-sacs, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I decree an opening by my utterance over this house in Jesus' name. May the will of the Lord God prosper concerning you and your family. May you be blessed in every single way. The Lord bless all of you today. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you. The Lord give you and your family His peace. The Lord bless your coming out and your going in from this day forth even forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.